everything. How you guys doing? Uh, this is G Money from G Money and Wustein. I believe Wustein may be coming in today. Maybe we'll see. Um, right now we're gonna do uh, the kind of normal thing. Gonna put on some uh, Speed Gibson. Come back, bring some news, and uh, do it like that. Here we go. <laughs> I want to realize, man, the way I feel in me. How do you feel? I want to realize, women, the way I feel in me. How do you feel? I'm gonna explode. You mean you're gonna explode? I'm gonna explode. Watch out. I'm gonna explode. of the International Secret Police. Barney Dunlap is some 200 miles up the Siong River endeavoring to locate Marsha Winfield with the aid of Bob Gilmore. Speed and Clint and the Hong Kong police enter the Siong Tunnel determined to open the secret rock door that leads to the octopus headquarters. Meanwhile, that master criminal has arranged so that if the rock door is moved even slightly, a blast of dynamite will completely wreck the Siong Tunnel and everyone in it. The octopus is watching the movements of Speed and Clint by means of his telescopic mirrors and is delighted as Speed discovers that the door is open a few inches. The boy is about to try and force it all the way when Clint calls to him to stop. Don't touch it, I say, Speed. Don't even lay a finger on that rock. Come back here. Clint, what's wrong all of a sudden? Did you see something? Yes, Clint. What is wrong? I haven't seen anything, boys, but I've just realized something. No wonder I had a hunch that something was wrong. But I do not understand, Clint. Now, listen, We've got to get out of this tunnel as quick as we can. What? But we've only just come in. Don't waste time talking. Quick, one of you men, give me a pickaxe. Here you are, sir. Oh, good. Now, uh, that heavy rope there. Oh, just one end of it. Here it is, sir. But what's all that for? Well, first, I insert the pickaxe in the rock door. Like this. I'm bracing it so that a sustained pull will force this door open. Yeah? Then I knot this rope around the handle and the blade so that it can't slip. So Seems like a lot of trouble over nothing. You will understand in a minute, Speed. Now follow me on the double quick. And don't step on this rope. I'm going to let it out as we go. On the double quick. Very well. Hurry, man. But Clint. Save your breath, Speed. And don't get too close to your uncle, Speed. You may get tangled in the rope. But I don't see. Orders are orders, Speed. Yes, sir. Look, there's a tunnel entrance ahead. Thank heavens it doesn't take long to get back there. Once you know the ground. Is the rope going to last out, thing? Yes, I still have a heavy loop in my hands. Yeah, we'll have plenty and some to spare. Yeah. Well, here we are. 
Now what? Uh, all of you men, get well outside the tunnel entrance. Along that runway over there. Even as far as the float, if necessary. Ayin, you're sure that no one is allowed on the Siang Dock or in the neighborhood of it? Oh, yes, Clint. Our men and the Hong Kong police are keeping everyone away from the section of the waterfront. Good. Then as many of you as can, grab hold of this rope, and when I give the word go, give a good tug. Me too, Clint? Yes, you can take part in this speed now that we're out of the tunnel. I think we are already, Clint. All right. Is everyone set? All right, then. Ready? Set? Go! What was that? Dynamite! Yes, Jim. Dynamite! And if Speed had tried to push that rock door open, we would have been caught by the blast. Gee, how did you suspect that, Clint? Wait a minute, men. Men, wait just a minute. Now, my hunch warned me of danger. And then it suddenly struck me strange that the rock door should be left slightly open so that we could not help but see the opening and force it the rest of the way. The octopus had it all planned that we should never leave the Siang Tunnel alive. Uh, you mind if I sit down a minute? My knees are kind of shaky. Mine are too speed. Uh, that is one of the closest calls I have ever had. And believe me, I have had plenty. Well, it was a clumsy job, though. Huh? Well, as a rule, the octopus is more subtle in his methods than that, Speed. We must be very close to him, otherwise he would take more precautions. With the Siang Tunnel in ruins, how are we going to get to him now? I don't know, but we'll find another way. So long as the octopus has ways out of his den, the secret police will find ways in. It seems, Master, your plan to trap Speed Gibson and Clint Barlow in the secret rock passage has failed. Yes, I should have known better than to think that Barlow would be fooled so easily. And since the explosion, we can no longer hear nor see the secret police. That does not worry me. My spies have eyes and ears. I shall be aware of their activities. And the main passage to my headquarters has been blocked forever by that dynamite blast. There is no danger of the police tracing me by means of this young and dark passage now. Neither can we escape by means of that passage should the need arise. It shall not arise. There are many other secret ways in and out of my headquarters. Most important, the underground hangar. Should the secret police come too close, we can take to the air and follow splinters into Tibet. I hope that necessity will not arise. I have no liking for Tibet. It is wild and little-known territory. To you, possibly. Even to most people. But I know Tibet well, Kwan Wu. I have not had surveyors working there for nothing. It is safe to say that I know the geography of Tibet better than any other living man. And I intend to make use of that knowledge someday. But will not the secret police follow you into Tibet? They will not be able to follow me anywhere, Kwan Wu. I will not leave Hong Kong until I am sure of that. Call a meeting of the band as soon as it is possible for them all to be here. I would speak to them. Very well, Master. You have uh, not visited Dr. Kingsley as yet, have you? No, I was unable to make an appointment, and then my time has been greatly occupied by our business. Yes, we have accomplished much. We destroyed the headquarters of the Hong Kong operator of the secret police, Li Ying, even though we failed to trap him. We removed Marshal Winfield from the possibility of being found by Dunlap and Gilmore. Hmm. What is it, Master? There is still the matter of Barney Dunlap. We heard his last shortwave conversation with Dr. Kingsley. Yes, Master. Stating that he failed to find the Winfield girl and that he was going to fly back here to Hong Kong, bringing Bob Gilmore with him. Yes, yes. Uh, they will probably go directly to Dr. Kingsley's home. Yes. 
It might be well for you to drop in for a friendly chat. Barlow and Gibson will be there, too. With Li Ying shortwave set out of commission, because of the fire, the doctor set will probably be their only means of communication with Dunlap's plane. They will go there for messages and await his coming. Shall I call the meeting of the band before I go to the doctor's, master? If possible, yes. I should like to lay our plans. Then, with all our enemies in the doctor's home, strike. And this time, <laughs> I shall not fail. Sorry we're not flying Marsha back to Hong Kong with us. You think there's any hope of finding her now, Barney? Sure. But it riles me to think of her being a prisoner of that octopus guy any longer than necessary. Here we was, just a few minutes flying time from her, and still missed her. Yeah, thanks to splinters. Yeah. But you know, Bob, if we can ever get our hands on that flying fool again, I think he might help us. What do you mean? When Clint and Speed were questioning him on Wake Island, after he tried to kidnap Speed in this very plane you're flying in now, the guy almost broke down and told everything he knew about the octopus. Seems he was once in the United States Navy, splinters I mean, and deserted. Then the octopus got his hooks on him and he's been flying for him ever since. How can a man with a record like that help us? Because somewhere, tucked away under that mixed-up brain of his... I think Splinters has a grain of loyalty for law. He must have, or he never would have flown for the United States Navy. But he's one of those weak guys. Maybe got in a jam while he was still in the Navy and fell under the octopus's power then. Maybe the octopus made him desert. Yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't trust Splinters. Oh, we won't trust him. But maybe we can use him to lead us to the octopus. That is, if we ever catch up with him again. Yeah, that's right. If we ever catch up with him again. Uh, well, there's Hong Kong Harbor below us. Where do you land, Barney? Right near the Siang Dock, Bob. I'll have to circle so her nose will be in the wind. The waterfront sure looks good to me, even from the air. I was getting sort of lonesome up the Siang. I should think so. You'll be a lot safer in Hong Kong, too, Bob. Now that the octopus knows for sure you're in with us. If he tries anything funny here, he's fooling not only with the secret police, but with British authority, too. While up to Siang in Chinese territory, most anything could happen. Well, seems to me plenty of things have been happening in Hong Kong. Yeah. Wonder how Clinton Speed came out with a tunnel ray. Hey. What? Hey, what's happened to the Siang dock? Look, there's a lot of excitement down there. And look, part of it has been blown away. Blown? Dynamite, I betcha. If the octopus dynamited that tunnel while Clinton Speed was in it, they never had a chance. Oh. I'm going to see if I can raise Lee Ying on the radio telephone. They weren't going down the tunnel alone, were they? No, they had plenty of police with them. But that wouldn't help in a dynamite job. The tunnel's kind of narrow. Clinton's feet probably went in first, and that's just what that devil fish wanted. Hello. Hello. Flight station OC-34 calling IS-56. OC-34 calling IS-56. Emergency. Come in, please. Want me to send out the calls while you land, Barney? No, thanks. I can handle both, Bob. If they'll only answer. OC-34 calling IS-56. Dunlap at OC-34 calling IS-56. Come in, Li Ying. He doesn't answer. But didn't he go to the tunnel with Clinton's speed? Yeah, but he'd leave a man stationed by that short wave set for possible messages from this plane, if nothing else. 
OC-34 calling IS-56. OC-34 calling IS-56. Lost a lot of altitude, Barney. Yeah. I'll set her down right now. Hold on, fella. Okay. going to taxi right up to that float so as we won't have to wait to be rowed ashore. I want to see what's happened. Listen. The octopus. Yes, Barney, that left the octopus. I welcome you back to Hong Kong and uh, also Bob Gilmore. Never mind the baloney. In fact, get off the air, octopus. We're bailing out of this crate right now and going to see what's happened at the Siang Seawall. I can save you trouble. What do you mean? You will not find your friends at Siang Seawall. Listen, you eight-faced piece of static. If you've done anything to Speeder Clint while I was gone, I'll... I'll tear you apart, do you hear? <laughs> I hear. But you would first have to find me before you could carry out your threat, Barney. Don't let him get your goat, Barney. Get it. He's got it. But I'll get his someday, and then I'll sure take that goat out of his hide. Meanwhile, if you are interested in the whereabouts of Clinton's speed, Barney, I suggest that you seek word of them at Dr. Kingsman. The docks? Yes. <laughs> Barney, what do you think's happened? I don't know, Bob, but come on. We're sure going to find out. <laughs> it out. Here we are, back on top. Alrighty, let me take off these stupid glasses real quick. Just went outside. It's a fucking gorgeous day out here in sunny San Francisco. Let's see here. Alright. <clears throat> oh yeah, before I do the links for today, I'm gonna do there's this weird fucking post from supposedly the Prime Minister of Israel. Right? Like he did one that's like the weak crumble are slaughtered in our race from history while the strong for good or ill survive the strong are respected and alliances are made with the strong and in the end and in the end peace is made with the strong <laughs> tired 
Okay, inspired. This is crazy. If it, August 29th, whenever I get a package of plain M&Ms, I make it my duty to continue the strength and robustness of the candy as a species. To this end, I hold M&M duels. Taking two candies between my thumb and forefinger, I apply pressure, squeezing them together until one of them cracks and splinters. That is the quote-unquote loser. I eat the inferior one immediately. The winner gets to go another round. I have found it. I have found that, in general, the brown and red M&Ms are tougher, and the newer blue ones are genetically inferior. I have hypothesized that the blue M&Ms as a race cannot survive long in the intense theater of competition that is the modern day candy and snack food world. Occasionally I will get a mutation, a candy that is misshapen, or pointier, or flatter than the rest. Almost invariably this proves to be a weakness, but on very rare occasions it gives the candy extra strength. In this way, the species continues to adapt to its environment. Okay, this got to be fake, right? <laughs> Out of control. That's fucking from Garbage Ape. <laughs> How weird, though. Those are fucking... He's got a blue check next to his name and everything. It's like, what in the flying fuck is that all about? Okay, guy. That's fucking weird, man. Anyway. <laughs> the links for today. Uh, September 2nd, 2018. Okay. Rescuing cobalt-eyed baby of the world's fluffiest cat. <laughs> uh, this is from the Siberian Times. <laughs> Robotel, Japan hotel staffed by robot dinosaurs. That's from fizz.org. <laughs> we will come back to that. Glory days. Revisiting Asbury Park, city on the shore. American conservative. All, uh, architectural cult criticism that's not just for architects. Common edge. <laughs> Study tests whether seaweed and cattle feed reduces emissions. <laughs> that's funny. Um, watch. Interview with one of Brazil's leading presidential candidates, Ciro Gomez from The Intercept. Glenn Greenwald. Um, Brick Brother is watching you watch. Um... Republican candidates are paying a fossil fuels conglomerate for voter data mining. From Counterpunch, Robert Mueller's Beltway cover-up tablet. Hmm. Um, our famously free press. Oh, this is sad. The Village Voice ends uh, editorial production, lays off half of staff. Uh, that's from the Columbia Jun uh, Journalism Review. And it took a village from the New Yorker. That's fucking sad, man. That's a bummer. That's one of the great American newspapers, and it's gone. It's fucked up. Like, especially, it's like in the nation's most busy city, and they were just always on the ground with really good shit. That's fucking, that's really sad. Um, class warfare, welfare, but for CEOs, Jacobin. Lead in U.S. school water, quote-unquote disturbing. Detroit just shut off all fountains. That's from Ars Technica. We can save lives and fight the op 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 opioid, Jesus George, <laughs> opioid epidemic. But the Trump administration strategies make the problem worse. It's from Alternet. Um, what would happen if we banned work emails at the weekend? BBC. 
it's nothing but good. <laughs> my money for my, I bet. Um, Trump cuts pay for public workers and proposes $100 billion gift to richest 1%. Truth out. That's nice of him, I guess. Um, California ended cash bail. So why are so many reformers unhappy about it? Politico. That is kind of weird. I don't know. That's a weird one. You know, bail as a thing. You know? I think... I, this, I may be dead fucking wrong, but I swear it comes down to, like, one of our goddamn amendments or something, isn't it? Like, you can't hold a motherfucker, you know, over X amount of fucking time or some, something weird like that. There's something like... I don't know. I'll look it up. Anyway, so that it seems to go against that, but whatever. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, uh, obviously. So much for the great California bail celebration, Marshall Project. <laughs> Why Bernie Sanders and Tucker Carlson agree on food stamps? That's funny. HuffPo. Saving capitalism from economics 101. No shit. Ooh, that's cool. It's from Project Syndicate. Simon Johnson. He's a really good fucking writer. I'm going to read that later. The collapse of the middle class and the rise of a new precariat. Quote, unquote. Truth dig. Yeah, no shit. Um, the next financial crisis lurks underground. New York Times by Bernie Sanders. Uh, supporters shouldn't be praising the DNC rule change, probably. Um, that's from CNN. Why startups are leaving Silicon Valley, The Economist. Uh, American political economy disrupted. Uh, Project Syndicate, again. Um, I could see why they're leaving Silicon Valley. There's probably more fucking places with like better, cheaper, whatever the fucks, and it's not so in the damn spotlight. But the weird part, man, whatever. I don't, who knows? Um, drones and political uh, stakeouts. How Tesla, quote unquote, haters put pressure on CEO Musk. International Business Times. Comcast is trying to ban states from protecting broadband and TV consumers. Oh, shit. Above the law. Uh, pissed off by Verizon. Yeah, firefighters join the fight to restore net neutrality from motherboard. Um, what California's net neutrality victory means for the rest of the country. Inverse. Yeah, that's actually a cool thing. I guess we just uh, passed, like, the like most pro-net neutrality bill, like, in the nation. So that's pretty cool. Um, California's climate moonshot. Whatever that's about. Maybe read that a little later. It's going to be horseshit. <laughs> Probably. Uh, healthcare. Los Angeles billionaires hospital system declares bankruptcy. Good. Fuck them. Politico. Um, Brexit. Brainier stands firm on post-Brexit border in Irish Sea. Oh, shit. Brexit. Wishing time away. Oh, that was from The Guardian. This is from EUReferendum.com. Um, hard Brexit won't be so soft for Germany. That's Handelsblatt. Momentum founder John Landsman. I wish people would calm it down. From Financial Times. That's lunch. They ate lunch together. It's weird. Okay. Uh, India. Uh, let's see. Kerala. After the flood. Pragmatism, not false pride. Should govern. govern should govern. India stand on foreign aid. That's first post. Corella authorities estimate rebuilding after flood will cost $3 billion. Al Jazeera. Oof. Urban Maoist. In Modi's India, if you're in the right, you must be on the left. Weird. SM, SCMP. 
um, crackdown on activists shows India needs to drop criminal conspiracy as penal offense. Holy shit. Scroll. Uh, Syracistan, Iran's response to sanctions. Ignore them. Breaking energy. <laughs> Lebanon is on a tightrope balancing Saudi, Iranian, and Western interests. Its position is precarious. From the Independent by Robert Fisk, really good writer. Uh, Saudis admit Yemen strike on bus carrying children unjustified. Guardian. Um, crashing currency chaos spreads across global south. Age of Times, Pepe Escobar, really good writer. Um, Trump transition. Top trade official in Mexico's new government said he wants Canada in any future deal, and Mexico did not sell Canada out. Oof, that's the Daily Globe and Mail. U.S. confirms end to funding for U.N. Palestinian refugees. Of course, because we're, well, we're not dicks, but they are dicks. Uh, that's from The Guardian and uh, the 2020 election. Oh, God. John Kerry won't rule out 2020 White House run. CBS, fuck that, dude. Anyway, all right, so that's your uh, headlines. And uh, we're going to do one more Speed Gibson, and uh, then we'll be right back. of the International Secret Police. Lee Ying in the Tea House Fire and Speed Gibson and Clint Barlow in the Dynamite Blast in the Seong Tunnel, the octopus, master criminal, determines to gather his forces for an attempt to do away with the secret police with one stroke. Consequently, as Barney Dunlap and Bob Gilmore land in the harbor on their return from a fruitless trip after Marsha Winfield, the octopus tells Barney to go to Dr. Kingsley's residence if he wants to know what has happened to his working partners. Seeing the Seong dock in ruins and knowing that Speed and Clint were there on a raid, Barney is greatly excited and loses no time in getting to the doctor's home. Doc! Doc Kingsley! Anybody home? Why, Barney! I didn't expect to see you so soon. Hello, Barney! I'm glad you're back safe. Speed and Clint, where are they? Why, they're on their way here. I had a phone call from Clint just a few minutes ago. He's all right? Well, so far as I know, yes. He said he had a lot to tell me and asked if I'd heard from you. I gave him your message that you uh, sent over shortwave. Oh, oh, boy. Mind if I sit down, Doc? Well, of course not. Well, you look all in, Barney. I am, you see. Oh, but wait a minute. I'm forgetting my manners in the excitement. Doc, this is Bob Gilmore, who's been helping us out up the Siang. 
This is Dr. Kingsley, Bob, and little Jean, his daughter. You knew Marsha's brother, didn't you, Mr. Gilmore? Yes, Jean, very well. I'm so sorry that you didn't find Marsha. So am I, honey. We must have just missed her. Which reminds me, Bob got a nasty sock on the head, Doc. Thought it had fractured his skull at first, but he finally came out of it. Wouldn't hurt to take a look at it. Oh, I should say so. And right now, too. Oh, please don't. I mean, not until Clint has arrived. My head isn't as important as the news he'll bring. Doesn't it hurt a lot? Well, just aches a little, Gene. Hmm, that should be Speed and Clint now. Swell. <laughs> uh, there'll be some surprise to see us sitting there. We'll have plenty to tell them. Yeah, and they'll have plenty to tell us, judging from the looks of the Siang Dark. Sounds like Barney. Not only sounds like, but is. The great Barney in person. Barney. Golly, I'm glad you're safe. Hi, Speed. Hi, Clint. Well, Barney, uh, how in the world did you get back so soon? Blue. <laughs> oh, I'm sure glad to see you again, Bob. But it's too bad about Miss Marcia. Yes, yeah, Speed. Barney might have been in time to stop Splinters from moving her if he hadn't stayed at my house to see if I was going to come to or not. Uh, come to? Yeah, feel that bump on Bob's dome. Now, let's see, Bob. Oh, oh, see, that is a good one. What happened? As long as explanations are in order, what happened to you, old pal? When we flew down, the Siang Dock was kind of messed up. And Barney was plenty scared. Thought maybe you'd gotten caught in it. Well, would have. Hadn't been for Clint. Oh, dear. What happened, Speed? Well, yes, tell us. We know nothing about your activities, you know. Well, we found the secret rock door, and it was open an inch or two. I was going to try and shove it wide open when Clint stopped me all of a sudden. He rigged up a pickaxe and rope and got everybody out of the tunnel. Took the other end of the rope along with us... And then we all tugged on it and heard a terrific explosion. You see, the octopus had set another trap. That rock door released a charge of dynamite when it was moved. Had we stayed in the tunnel and uh, moved that door ourselves, <laughs> we wouldn't be here now. Ooh. Oh, how horrible. Was Ying with you? Yes, he's with the British authorities now, uh, turning in a report. I tried to call a short wave station, but couldn't raise anybody. Well, that's not surprising. Ying's tea house is burned to the ground. What? Mm -hmm. The octopus, discovering that Ying was a member of the secret police... Uh, took steps to do away with him. Uh, he didn't get Ying, fortunately, but the crime laboratory is in ruins. Suffering wangdoodles. Things have been happening during my flight up the Siang. Yes, and uh, when did this all happen? Just before we went to the Siang dock. Well, you didn't waste any time, did you? Uh, supposing you tell us how you spent your time up the Siang, Barney. I'll make it short, Clint. I kept the octopus plane in sight, but I don't think he knew I was following him. Because he never would have landed at Bob's place and gone in like he did. He said that you'd send him, Clint. Well, he did. And then he knocked you out. Well, he pulled a gun on me first. He was half out of his mind, I think, judging from the way he talked. Said something about being kept in a torture room or something. The octopus is full of cute tricks like that. Probably threw splinters in there after he almost spilled the beans about his headquarters. Mm, I see. Go on. What happened then? Well, I tackled him and tried to get the gun. During the mix-up, he cracked me over the head with it. The next thing I knew, Barney was throwing water in my face. Yeah, I bust in all set to arrest whoever's there, and I find Bob stretched out all over the floor. While I was giving him the once-over, the splinters guy takes off, and I have a heck of a time trying to decide whether I should take off after him or stay and patch up Bob. He looked pretty sick to me, so I stayed. By the time we finally did reach the house where I'd seen Marcia, there wasn't a sign of anything. Looked as if it hadn't been lived in for days. But are you sure it was the right place, Gilmore? Oh, yes, Dr. Kingsley. Oh, dear. I wonder where Marcia is now. One thing we can be sure of, Jean, is she's safe. Otherwise, the octopus wouldn't take so much trouble about moving her around. Yes, Speed's right. The octopus doesn't keep prisoners as a rule. 
Uh, he has some use for Marsha, uh, that I know. And we've got to find her before he uses her as a hostage in some way. Say, that reminds me. Reminds you what, Barney? Just as we was landing, the octopus came on the air over the short wave set, telling me why I couldn't raise anyone at Lee Ying's, and saying that if I wanted to know what had happened to you guys, I should come here to the docks. Hey, the octopus told you to come here? Sure, didn't he, Bob? That's right, Clint. Mm, that doesn't sound so good. Well, what do you mean? Well, just why should the octopus want us all here together? Don't know. But let him want it. He can't do us any harm, what with the Hong Kong police all around the doctor's house and garden. I had to show everything I had in the way of identification to get in here. You think that criminal plans another raid, Clint? Well, I don't know what to think, Doctor. After what's happened within the past few hours, nothing would surprise me. Now what? Maybe it's that surprise you was talking about, Clint. Well, I hope not. I've had enough excitement to last me for a few hours. I'd like some sleep and also a chance to replace my disguise. That smoke and the tunnel explosion didn't do it any good. I'd love to know how you really look, Clint. You've always had that Monsieur Dorsey makeup on when you weren't disguised as a Chinese. <laughs> well, Pierre Dorsey isn't much different from my true appearance, Jean. I just darkened my skin, curled my hair. Watch it. Here comes somebody. Mr. Wu to see Dr. Kingsley. Quan Wu, why, show him in, please. Yes. This way, please, Mr. Wu. Just the guy I've been wanting to see. Me, too. Yeah, now, wait a minute. Take it easy, both of you. Follow my lead. Now, oh, Dr. Kingsley, and my friends, the secret police. Well, are you surprised to find us here, Mr. Wu? Somewhat. I thought you would probably be on the trail of the octopus. I believe that this is the first time I have ever seen you in a mood of relaxation, Mr. Barlow. Yeah, it's real cozy, ain't it? Just the time for a nice long talk. Talk? Uh, yes, there are some questions we'd like to ask you, Mr. Wu. Some other time, perhaps? I have another appointment shortly. I merely happened to be passing the doctor's home and thought I would drop in to see how things were progressing. Our questions won't take long. Uh, Jean, perhaps you'd better run along and play. But, Daddy, every time anything exciting starts to happen... You made me go somewhere and play. Now, Jean. Mm, all right. Yes, but don't leave the house. And uh, now, Mr. Wu. This is all very irregular. Why do you wish to question me? What information can I give you, gentlemen? What were you doing on the Siang dock the night of the flower boat raid? Flower boat raid? Yeah. You came in a rickshaw following a big box. Oh, that night. Hmm, I remember now. I came down to the dock to observe the merriment aboard the flower boat. But I did not see you, Speed. You pushed me off the pier. What? When I was trying to see into that big box. Were you that boy? <laughs> I thought you were a beggar. Well, I still don't give you a reason to push the kid. Oh, uh, no. Uh, Mr. Wu, are you sure that you've told us everything you know about the octopus? I do not understand. Well, not long ago, you warned Dr. Kingsley that by continuing to aid us, he might lose his little daughter. That she might disappear as Marsha Winfield disappeared. Now, on what information did you base this warning? Simply on rumors that had come to my ears, Mr. Barlow. What rumors? Who did they come from? My countrymen. I cannot remember just who told me. To tell the truth, I did not pay much attention to the rumors, but merely repeated them to Dr. Kingsley as a precaution. Well, you thought enough of the rumors to make a special trip to see Dr. Kingsley and warn him. Dr. Kingsley is my very good friend. I, uh, I wonder if you really mean that. What? 
If you really think a great deal of the doctor, Wu, uh, you will not withhold any information concerning the octopus from us. For by doing so, you may be enabling this criminal to actually harm the doctor or Jean. But, Mr. Barlow, I have told you that I know nothing of this criminal other than the usual rumors that are everywhere in Hong Kong. You are a member of the secret police. You know vastly more about the octopus than I. Furthermore, I cannot understand why you are questioning me as if... as if I were a member of the band. Is this by any chance what you term third degree? Well, now, uh, I don't think you understand. Now, Clint is not insinuating anything against your character, Quan Wu. He uh, merely wanted to ask you these questions as a precaution against further damage done by this fiend that that calls himself the octopus. Now, uh, within the last few hours, this criminal has threatened the lives of practically everyone present. I shudder when I think where he might strike next. I do not think you need fear anything, Doctor, with such able protectors as the secret police about you. And now, if I am free, may I ask leave to depart? Remember, I still must keep that other appointment. Yeah, very well, then. Nothing more we can do, I guess. No, but something tells me things ain't just right. I can't figure out just what. Then, until you do, Mr. Dunlap, allow me to bid you all farewell. Wait a minute. Don't let him go. Look at his right hand. Hmm? What is it, Speed? Yeah, what do you see, kid? That ring. The stone is missing from it. Remember? We found a little piece of jade in our room with the golden lotus that just about fit in that ring. Found it in the floor after our room had been searched. Fellas, the octopus gang searched our room. And Quan Wu must have been there. He is in the octopus gang. <laughs> I'm going to totally read uh, this fucking Saving Capitalism from Economics 101 by Simon Johnson. It's on a Project Syndicate website. It's really good. There's also some really good um, other articles on this site. Uh, Was the financial crisis wasted? Well, we'll read from the top down. Um, August 29th uh, from Anna 
uh, Palico, uh, Europe's Dog Days of Summer. Uh, second one featured is uh, Tragedy for Turkey in the U.S. It's all fucked up. Uh, that's August 27th, 2018. Annie, or I'm sorry, Ann O. Kruger. We got three. Was the financial crisis wasted? That's also August 29th. Uh, Howard Davies. Why is the rem, uh, Ren Min... Oh, geez. R-E-N... Ren Min B. Uh, depreciating. Uh, that's from Yu Yong Ding. That's uh, August 29th. And uh, August 28th, The Myth of Secular Stagnation. That's actually one I kind of want to read. That's also by Joe. Uh, also by. That is by Joseph E. Stiglitz, one of the. He's a really good e economics writer. Um. You know. Oh, just, you know, that's about, that argues that the concept was always merely a fig leaf uh, for bad politics and flawed economic policies. Probably right. All right. Um, but this is Saving Capitalism from Economics 101 by Simon Johnson. Uh, like I said, it's on Project Syndicate. It goes like this. Washington, D.C. All across the United States, students are settling into college and coming to grips with Econ 101, quote unquote. This introductory course is typically taught with a broadly reassuring message. If markets are allowed to work, good outcomes, such as pro productivity growth, increasing wages, and generally sh uh, shared prosperity will surely follow. Unfortunately, as my co-author James Quack points out in his, uh, that's K-W-A-K, he's a really good writer too, points out in his recent book, um, Econom economism, bad economics, and the rise of inequality. Econ 101 is so far from being the whole story that it could actually be considered misleading, at least as a guide to sensible policymaking. Markets can be good, but they are also profoundly susceptible to abusive practices, including by prominent private sector people. This is not a theoretical concern. It is central to our cur current policy debates, including important new U.S. Le legislation that has been put forward. on you there you go <laughs> all right um one core problem is that market incentives reward self-interested private behavior without accounting for social benefits or cost we generally overlook our actions spillover effects on others or externalities to be fair econ 101 textbooks do discuss this issue in some contexts such as pollution and as wisely and it is widely accepted that environmental damage needs to be regulated if we are to have clean air clean water and limits on other pollution pollutants Unfortunately, quote-unquote, widely accepted does not include by President Donald Trump's administration, which is busy rolling back environmental protections across a broad range of activities. The New York Times counts 76 rollbacks in progress. The thinking behind this policy is straight out of the first few weeks of Econ 101. Get out of the way of the market. As a result, there's a lot more pollution, inclu including more emission of greenhouse gases in America's future. There's also an even deeper problem. There's a general uh, presumption in Econ 101 that firms should maximize profits and that is in the be and that this is best for their shareholders and for society. But this notion of quote-unquote firms is just a shorthand for people organized in a particular form. People, not firms, make decisions. 
To understand the nature and impact of these decisions, we need to look closely at the incentives of firm senior managers, senior managers and board members. Since the 1970s, the people who run firms have become much more focused on increasing their compensation through bonuses, stock options, and the like. There's been a significant rise in the value of shares, most of which are owned by the wealthiest 10% of Americans. At the same time, median wages have barely increased, a dramatic change from the immediate post-World War II period when productivity increases led to steady wage gains. Today, it is top managers and members of boards or directors in whose interest firms are run. Yeah, duh. It, not just that, but like, side note, <laughs> this is not in the article, this is just me side noting real quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of our political system, isn't it? Right? Whose interests are just in the hands of those fucking lobbyists and don't give a flying shit. Like, you're not representing your constituents. You're not representing those people. You're representing this weird money fucker. So, whatever. Back from side note. <clears throat> Investors sometimes get a good ride. Though the, all right, we'll start at the beginning of the paragraph again. Today, it is top managers and members of boards of directors and whose interest firms are run. Investors sometimes get a good ride, though there are plenty of instances where insiders take excessive advantage by awarding themselves overly generous compensation, taking on excessive risks, or engaging in other more devious practices. The idea that compensation committees insist on genuinely impressive performance relative to relevant benchmarks has become risable. This is the context in which Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts is proposing a new Accountable Capitalism Act. Very large companies would need to acquire a federal charter, as opposed to the current state charter arrangements, which would... Um which would come with specific obligations, in particular, the need to consider the interests of all corporate stockholder, stakeholders, including workers. To make this more meaningful and generally improve transparency, ordinary uh, non-management employees should get some representation on the board of directors. This type of arrangement has works, works well in Germany, a country where workers continue to be treated with respect. Warren also supports a proposal that originated, uh, originated from John Bogle, founder of Vanguard, a mutual fund company, that would require supermajority support from shareholders and directors before a large company could engage in political expenditures. Hmm, interesting. That was a weird side note. <laughs> the underlying legal theory behind these proposals is sound, and, is well and it is well articulated in a letter signed by Robert Hockett of Cornell Law School and other distinguished figures. Large corporations are granted significant rights, including limited liability for individual executives, and facilitate the pooling of large amounts of capital from people who do not necessarily know one another or the promoters of the company. Originally, the purpose was to enable the private sector to carry out. Yes, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep fucking doing them. Originally, the purpose was to enable the private sector to carry out large-scale risky investments that had broader potential impacts, such as building canals and railroads. Side note: Fuck yes, that's the whole goddamn reason behind these things. It's not for fucking AT and T, you know, or whoever the fucking giant fuck Disney. To just own, like, all of entertainment. Go fuck yourself, man. That's crazy. That doesn't even have any... What fucking broader social impact does that have except for fucking us? Right? 
so we can be a goddamn like rent holder or you know fuck off man anyway rent collector that's the whole goddamn idea i remember my mother telling me in the fucking 1980s that gm just if it could do one thing it would just have you lease their cars forever instead of you ever owning their shit it's like wow man and you just see it all over the place like that like mental space like that's that's what people fucking want they just want to be able to sit <laughs> and just rack in cash it's like fuck you man and and you know like you as a consumer don't own shit you know so they're like legally fucking enforced to be able to take your shit because you don't own it i hate that's the thing i do not like about like the digital world is like the idea that you don't really either own your shit or you don't have a physical thing like i can play a goddamn record with a with a sharp needle in my goddamn finger and put my ear next to it and generally hear the fucking song right like if shit went to whiskers right you know if shit went weird i could actually do that i can't do that with a digital file first off i need power right and all kinds of other accoutrement just to make the goddamn thing work you know it's pretty weird it's it's a weird thing to me i don't i i distrust the people who are in charge of that shit generally so the idea that they have control over like that's why i still love cds (laughs) at least i got the motherfucker all i need is a cd player and some fucking speakers and i'm set you know i don't gotta go like (laughs) be cookied and all kinds of other shit just to play a motherfucking song and be remembered and have you sort out some shit i should listen to fuck off so i love like a bookstore or a fucking library or whatever you just browse like i've read that whole fucking i read the entire thing here because i actually got housed before i finished it weirdly i was bummed out about that because i knew i would never actually sit back down and finish this fucking series but like this history of radio it's like 11 12 books it's huge it's so detailed about the ins and outs and farnsworth you know philo farnsworth and all that type of shit it's so interesting and like like it took like two books just to get to philo farnsworth and that motherfucker is supposed to be like the you know the radio's first dude you know it's or television's first dude i believe yeah yeah philo farnsworth yeah in fact i'm sorry it's not about radio it's the history of television but they bring you in through radio that's what makes it feel like the history of radio what the fuck just because it's crazy there were like people in germany like mowing their lawns and fucking in like particular patterns that you know like how you mow a lawn left right left right left right you know backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and you can see the difference in the fucking changing lines and that shit right there is what put the idea of doing lines for television like well if you just keep running a shit ton of lines you can put an image on the screen and like it's wild it's just wild how this how all that stuff really went down it's really interesting actually maybe i'll uh, do some research and write up something that's about that that would actually be pretty neat anyway um 
bad, but it's so big. Like I said, fucking hell, it's twelve bucks, and I haven't like I said, I haven't even read them all because it's huge. Like even like there's no way I ever got to Desilu, but even they're part of putting it on film instead of like this weird, you know, for syndication. It's such an interesting history, but whatever. <laughs> I love all kinds of shit. I love TV. I love all the, whatever. I was a fucking TV nut when I was when I was super when I was in high school. I used to get stoned and watch C-SPAN for hours and play video games and just listen to the government do its fucking thing and try to figure out because like it wasn't making any sense when I was a teenager. And what the hell? What a weirdo way to fucking go about it. But I still got bummed out weirdly, stupidly. That, like, none of my friends or people that I knew, really, except for, like, maybe my mother or whatever, like, actually gave two flying fucks about their government. It's so weird. Like, I don't know if people just take it for granted or people are, like, intrinsically distrusting of other people. I don't know what it is, but it's shocking how fucking disinterested people are to this day really about one of the most important things that affect their lives like it's how everything's run around you man like people give a fuck like when it's like pot uh propositions and shit and they still don't fucking vote it's so weird. I think people think voting's like jury duty or some shit. Like, it's hard. Like, you gotta go through a bunch of steps. It's not. You show up, it takes like five fucking minutes, and you're out of there. And I think most, like, I think in California at least, I think your employers are, like, bound, like, on fucking voting day to allow you, I think, like, two hours to get the fuck out of work. You get to have, you get out of work, man. For You get paid. Like, pay time off to go vote. It's like, I think that's like a law, man. So, you know, that's crazy. It still drives me bananas that that idea, you know. It's like, I've been arguing this shit, in, at least to other people, and in my mind for so fucking long, like, I'm exhausted of the conversation. I don't give a fuck. I wish you would. And that's all I can do can't make you vote i do like when people go down like that's why i really like the uh those democratic socialists who do the goddamn like changing uh they'll have like free taillights like day just come down there and we'll fucking we got the repair dudes they'll just pop off that thing and replace your taillight and that's that's across the board good right that's like that's not quote-unquote democratic or quote-unquote republican you know that's just good <laughs> that's cool man like i love sh oh this is cool there's like a yellow uh 60s uh vw bug oh it's fucking gorgeous too and a skateboarder that just fucking rolled up right behind him that's awesome california's in the house <laughs> the mission's in the house baby all right um <clears throat> 
The underlying legal theory behind this proposal is sound, and it is well articulated in a letter. Uh, by the way, that's highlighted, so if you actually wanted to go read that, you can actually read the letter signed by Robert Hockenlubia and other distinguished figures. Large corporations are granted significant rights. Uh, yeah, canals and railroads. All right, yeah, we read all that. All right. The U.S. Uh, supposedly constrains the activities of large corporations with the Department of Justice taking action if, if companies acquire monopoly power or otherwise behave in an anti competitive manner realistically the enforcement of antitrust laws has slipped a long way in recent years under both republican and democratic administrations warren is proposing a much broader rethink large corporations can still do well but they need to be held accountable in a much more transparent way incentives for executives would be adjusted and running these companies would no longer be so much about lining their own pockets Workers would no longer be treated so badly, and, pe and more people might even start to believe again in the American dream of prosperity for all. The legitimacy of capitalism, private ownership, and reliance on market mechanisms would be greatly strengthened under the Accountable Capitalism Act. So yes, like it or not, this will, not, this will be on the final exam. There you go, baby. Simon Johnson. Fuck okay, man. He's a former chief exec chief economist for the International Monetary Fund or Foundation, IMF, whatever that thing is really. <laughs> is a professor at MIT Sloan. I believe that's in London or Europe or what 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 is England. That's it. A senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics and co-founder of a leading economics log, The Baseline Scenario, which is a fucking great website. He is a co-author with James Quack, K-W-A-K, of White House Burning, The Founding Fathers, Our National Debt, and Why It Matters to You. There you go. Um, let's play some music, why don't we? Thank you. 
staffed by robot dinosaurs holy shit it's weird like first off <laughs> it it's so weird to describe it's like a dino like a raptor let's say it looks like there's like two raptors one's like kind of the typical kind of greenish brownish you know grayish sort of thing and <laughs> Weirdly, it's looking out like, like out pat, like out where customers would be. It's fucked up. It's got that long snout. You know, it's like a big ass, fucked up, scary bird with teeth. And then there's like one next to it, also doing the in the exact same hands out, fucking claws out sort of pose, like like an alligator looking at you. And then there's another one. I don't know, a few feet over to its left. It, but that has like a a weird bluish purplish <laughs> reddish face same it's the same thing just a different color but they're both wearing like those little hotel hats you see in movies and shit <laughs> it's so fucking weird i don't know what's going on right there man it's fucking wild looking 
But anyway, this is on phys.org, P-H-Y-S.org. We do nanotechnology, physics, earth, astronomy, space, technology, chemistry, biology, and other sciences. This is under Home Technology Robotics, August 31st, 2018, by Real... Yeah, Real... 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 Oh, no. This is fucking weird the reception at the oh wait wait before i get into this i had this weird thing lately i don't know if it's what the fuck's going on with me but i am really sick of songs that fade out i want the goddamn song just finish the song anyway total weird side note okay the reception at the hen na hotel east of tokyo was eerily quiet until customers approached the robot dinosaurs manning the front desk their sensors detect the motion and they bellow, Welcome. Or Toruto, whatever the fuck welcome is in J- Japanese, I would assume. <laughs> but they say welcome. Or maybe they just say fucking welcome. It might be about the weirdest check in experience possible, but that's exactly the point at um, Hen Na, whose name means weird chain, <laughs> which bills itself as offering the world's first hotel staffed by robots. Oh my. Okay, the front desk staff are a pair of gigan- uh, giant dinosaurs that look like cast members from the Jurassic Mark of the Jurassic Mark of the Jurassic Park movies, except for the tiny bellboy hats perched on. That's what they are, perched on their heads. That's exactly what I was just describing to you guys and and ladies. <laughs> um, the Robo Dinos process check-ins through a tablet system which that also allows customers to choose which language Japanese English Chinese or Korean I didn't think Chinese was a language I thought it was Mandarin whatever maybe there's a broader Chinese language language I don't know yo no say can't do it in Spanish they want to use to communicate with the multilingual robot the effect the effect is bizarre with the large dinosaurs gesticulating with their large arms and issuing tinny set phrases Yukio Nagi Nagai a manager at the hint he's a man there's a person managing this thing I thought it was all robots <laughs> admits some customers find it slightly unnerving no shit Yukio <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked up. When you look at this thing, it looks like a weird like mix between like Chuck E. Cheese and like fucking Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's totally what it is. It's fucked up. Oh man. We haven't quite figured out exactly when the guest we haven't figured out exact when exactly the guests want to be served by people and when it's okay to be served by robots. No shit, because the thing notices you like a fucking auto-flush urinal, you know. (laughs) Ah, yes, this person's done peeing. It's so weird. But for other guests, the novelty is the charm, of course. Each room is staffed with mini robots that look uh, look a bit like spherical Star Wars droid BB-8 and help guests with everything from changing channels to playing music. What in the fuck? There's a robotic fish in a fish tank. Even the fish swimming in the lobby run on batteries <laughs> with electric lights and articulated bodies flickering on and off as they swim around their way their, their way around giant tanks. Jeez, old Pete's. The dinosaurs looked intriguing and I thought my son would love it, said uh, Ching's, uh, Chingusa Hozoi, 
who was at the hotel with her three-year-old. My son is really happy. There's an egg-shaped robot inside the room. He was playing with it a lot. The first Henna Hotel opened in Nagasaki in 2015. Famous for some fucked up shit. Nagasaki, that is not the hotel. And was certified the following year by Guinness World Records as the, the world's first hotel with robots on its staff. Jesus, there's fucking T-Rex heads, <laughs> T-Rex bodies. Um, the travel agency group that operates the chain now runs eight hotels across the country. Holy shit. All with robots on the staff, some of them dinosaurs, but others taking a more humanoid shape. <laughs> some humans are also on call to intervene, in, in, to intervene in case of glitches. Yeah, there's an IT staff, which customers review online suggests are not an infrequent problem at check-in. Yeah, I bet. But uh, not guys said relying on robots from everything from front desk duty to cleaning had proved an efficient choice in a country with a shrinking labor market. It's becoming difficult to secure enough labor at hotels. To solve that problem, we have robots serving guests. That's fucking bananas. Ha! <laughs> what in the flying fuck? You should see these goddamn, um, <laughs> uh, whatchamacallum. The T Rexes. They're, oh, God, they're so, what the, who the hell? Like, <laughs> it's so weird. People are cool. Who does shit like that? <laughs> you do it in Nagasaki, baby. I want to see that shit. With the robots of some of them dinosaurs. Why why is dinosaurs say oh, it's just <laughs> go to fizz.org and just read all about dinosaur shit. I'm good. <laughs> a pair of giant dinosaurs. Why does that keep coming? But that's the same shit. Take you back to giant dinosaurs. Just, yeah, whatever. Anyway, that's cool. Who wouldn't want to go there? <laughs> Here's a guy. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. India did this weird thing about they de they like made like cash money like not a thing this year for like or was it last year? It was fucked up. Like they were like everything will just be on credit cards or whatever the fuck and people lost their shit. People there was runs on banks. It was fucking crazy, man. The fuck is going on over there? Whenever I read shit about India, that's what I always think about first. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> God, what are they talking about now? Why? Why is it still in the news? Oy, Earlier this week, yeah, RBI, Reserve Bank of India, published its annual report, which included further assessments of the government's demonetization policy. In, yeah, it was 2016. Holy shit, it's been a while since they did that. It was the end of 2016. Imposed on November 8th, 2016, when Prime Minister, yeah, Modi, I always forget, fuck up his first name, Narendra Modi, announced the immediate cancellation of Indian rupees. R's, fives, and R's, thousand notes, 86% of all cash then in circulation in what is largely a cash-based economy. No shit. That's fucking crazy. That's crazy. What? What? Anyway, yeah. Whole, I'm honestly fucking shocked that he's still the goddamn prime minister. Is he? I think he still is. I think I just read Modi did some shit. That's fucking crazed. 
There's like billions of people. There's like at least a billion people in India. It's fucked up. The idea that you would like just pull all their goddamn money like fuck you. As I wrote here, <laughs> the government estimated that demonetization demonetization would flush up to one third of. Oh yeah, it, the whole idea was like they were trying to pull like black money or some shit out of the market and like stop people from. What the fuck are you talking about? will flush up to one-third of currency then in circulation from the economy with holders of black money choosing to trash or abandoning their holdings rather than admitted shady provenance. Get the fuck out. Central bank liabilities were expected to decline and the government to reap a windfall. Guess what didn't fucking happen? Widespread and immediate chaos followed as I observed firsthand as I was visiting India at that time and discussed here, 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 and here. <laughs> They're all links. By the way, this is like I said, uh, by Jerry Lynn Schofield. Uh, this is uh, today's actual article: uh, Indian demonetization debacle by Jerry Lynn Schofield off of Naked Capitalism, one of the great American websites. The latest RBI report reaffirms that far from ferreting out large sums of illicit money, most of the canceled banknotes were exchanged for new currency, as reported by The Wire in its, official, its finally official RBI says 99.3 of demonetized money returned to banking system. I guess that other 0.7% are hiding it in a mattress or something. <laughs> Fuck off, right? The Reserve Bank of India, RBI, has finally finished counting the money that was returned to the central bank after the Modi's government decision, government's decision to demonetize 500 uh, rupee fives and 1,000 notes in November 2016. The results of RBI's uh, calculations, 99.3% of the scrap notes came back into the formal banking system. Jerry Lynn here. See, especially... Uh, pages uh, 147 through 154 of the RBI report. There you go. If you exactly want to read what it says. Holy shit. That's why I love this goddamn website. Jerry Lynn Schofield, weirdly, started writing for this thing like professionally. I guess. I'm assuming that some, somebody gets paid for doing this. But like around this time and like a little bit before here. But she normally just does like the weekend shit. It's really cool. She's a cool uh, writer. Um... The latest RBI report refines and finalizes preliminary calculations made in last year's annual report, which I discussed further here. <laughs> Yet, as this piece in the wire, how successful was demonetization? Four takeaways from RBI's annual report makes clear. Now, even if 100% of demonetized currency returned to the system, it does not mean all of this cash was quote-unquote white or money that was generated through wholly legal means it's the job of the income tax department and various investigative agencies to determine how much of it is black or illegally obtained and which uh, depositors need to be examined for trying to cheat the system so far the government has not put out any credible ev evidence to, as to its efforts in this regard at a press conference on Wednesday evening, senior finance ministry official, oh geez, subhash Shanra Garg, refused to elaborate on how demonetization helped crack down on black money. Exactly, because it fucking didn't. It was some. It's so weird. I don't. What I want to know is who put that idea in his head. That's who. What the fuck I want to know. Okay, or. 
To put it another way, the government clings to its talking points even in the absence of supporting evidence. Sound familiar? The Wire 4 Takeaways article also highlights some lingering after effects of the impact of demonetization on the availability of currency earlier this year, 2018, long after the policy was imposed in November 2016. That's why I fucking thought it was like last year. Well, it kind of was. It's November. But... While The Wire has, over the last 18 months, uh, reported and analyzed how India's currency in circulation, the CIC, and currency-to-GDP ratio has not changed drastically after demonetization, the RBI's annual report provides further proof on how little things have changed. Overall, the supply of currency notes declined by 14% in 2017 and 2018, as The Wire has reported. Various states of India experienced cash crunch earlier this year with ATMs running dry. The lesser number of R's, 150 and 20 notes being supplied in 2017-18, and the ATM system's inability to adapt to the new R200's notes quickly enough may have played a part in the cash crunch. I happened to be visiting India earlier this year and experienced this cash crunch firsthand in Calcutta, where ATMs ran out of currency in late March or early April, IIRC. The crunch was by no means as pressing as in other parts of the country, according to press reports I read at the time, nor, for that matter, was it anywhere near as severe as in late 2016. Then, daily ATM withdrawals were limited. Yeah, I remember that. And it was necessary to queue to withdraw currency, often uh, available only in the form of rupee 2,000 notes, which were of limited use for many day-to-day transactions and for which change was simply not available. So I'll listen. That's like, I don't know. Like a hundred a hundred dollar note, a fifty dollar note, something like that. We're like, fuck, can't keep fucking. Yeah, that's crazy. The impact of demonetization. Whew, boy, yeah, it's not that much. Okay, um, demonetization is estimated to have slowed India's growth rate significantly. Although growth projections released this week uh, show its worst impact has passed, with growth for the June quarter estimated at eight point two percent. Holy shit. Up from 5.6 a year ago. Shit. India hits 8.2 GDP growth in June quarter on back of manufacturing boost and base effect. Fuck off. This, as the Financial Times notes, in India's economy surges 8.2% in best quarter since cash ban is, quote unquote, the fastest pace of expansion since Prime Minister uh, Modi, I'm not saying this for his name again, fuck off. 2016 cash ban, a shock that drained liquidity from the economy. That doesn't mean the failure of the demonetization exercise has been acknowledged by the Modi government or by his uh, uh, his party, BJP, the Janta party. Early, instead, earlier this week, according fuck off, George, say it right. Baharita, Bahatiya, Janta party, sure. The BJP. But <laughs> when I see shit like that, I would just think of that old ass NWA song with like when we in and I'm a Ribbian Prince and we're in WA <laughs> B- BJP <laughs> Weird. I just saw fucking A Phi A Alpha Phi Alpha like concert thing. They were putting on a show down at the like the Crucible or whatever the fuck name that place has where the Flaming Groovies played. <laughs> Fucking weird. Like, it was like 
There's a lot of niggas outside of the crucible on Valencia. It was weird. Like, I, I so wanted to yell out, Hey, Faye, 0606. Because oh, my brother, fuck off. Anyway, I, I don't like uh, Witch McCombs. Frats. All right. Anyway, instead earlier this week, according to India Today, BJP stalls negative report on demonetization draft uh, drafted by Parliament panel. Parli- Parliament. Parliament, fuck it. Um, the BJP, using its majority in um, in the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Finance, has declared derailed a discussion or an adoption of a report that um, criticized demonetization as ill-conceived, quote-unquote, as an ill-conceived exercise that, quote, led to the lowering of the gross domestic product uh, product by at least one percentage point. Holy shit, unquote. The actions of the BJP members on the committee have saved the government the trouble of facing the reporter's criticism of the demonetization exercise. The Standing Committee on Finance is headed by Congress leader and former union minister M. Verapa Moily. Or Mo- Mo- Moily? Yeah. That's Oily with an M. Moily. <laughs> the, the committee, which includes uh, eminent uh, economists such as former Prime Minister Singh, completed drafting its report on the demonetization way back at way back in March this year. The scathing report ran into opposition from opposition from the committee's BJP members on day one. On March 19th, the BJP members rose in unison to reject the report. Fuck off. The BJP's Nish Kant Dubli, who is known for his expertise on finance, financial and business matters, submitted a dissent note against the report. The note disagreed strongly with the report's conclusion that the demonetization decision was ill-conceived, quote-unquote. <laughs> really? The BJP uh, members argued that demonetization was a huge success in eradicating black money and promoting digital payments. This week's RBI report certainly suggests otherwise with respect to eradicating black money. Since the committee's term expired on August 31st or 31st of August, um, its demonetization report is effectively scuppered, according to this account in the Hindu government scene burying MPs panel report on Demo. According to Congress, this is from the Hindu, according to Congress, the main opposition, that's amazing that opposition is uh, uh, capitalized. Anyway, um, the BJP is stonewalling the procedures using its numerical strength on the committee. Every sentence in the statement on demonetization made by the former Prime Minister Singh in the Raya Sabha has proven true. The entire process as he said, was legalized loot and organized plunder. As a result of it, people have lost lost confidence in banks. Congress uh, spokesperson uh, Jai Paul Reddy said. Another opposition member, again capitalized, um, who wasn't present at the uh, panel's meeting on Monday, said no drafts were sent to the other to the members. According to sources, the draft report says about 1% of GDP was lost owing to demonetization. It also points to job losses arising from the decision to invalidate 500,000 rupee notes illegal, which also invalidated over 80% of notes in circulation. Holy shit. That's like, I guess I'd be like getting rid of all the ones and all the fives. 
or like all the fives and all the tens that's crazy the modi government paid li little political price for the spectacularly inept demonetization policy which imposed widespread hardship although many indians support the goal of reducing corruption the rbi numbers reaffirmed that this policy did not achieve such ends bang there you go all right let's play some more music and then uh we'll get back to everything we'll be right back last half hour respite i gave you uh, that ain't your usual habit is it thinking must be the company you
walked and walked and talked and talked and whispered in my ear, tell me that you love me. I love that talk, that baby talk. Won't you talk like that? I can't take it like that. How, 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 how? Corona 
甘みが咲くじゃなし恨みに一筋
Vanatu. It's a real place. It's a bunch of islands in the Pacific Ocean. By the way, I got to see the slits. This is one of the best things me and my girlfriend ever did. Let's go see the slits in San Francisco. I'll never forget it. It's one of the great shows I ever saw before Ari got R.I.P. It's a great fucking song. fucking first sentence first off vanatu is a real fucking place which is wild to me that there's a place in the world called vanatu because it's like a series of islands okay but check this out 
All right. There's an estimated 13,000 pieces of plastic litter afloat every single square kilometer of ocean. Holy shit. Port Vila. All right. Oh, by the way, yeah. Fucking place was just like confirmed as a place in 1980. This is old as I am. It's fucked up. Port Vila, August 21st. It's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, by the way. Here we go. Uh, fuck me. Let me just read the goddamn thing. Port Vila, August 21st, 2018. IPS. Cradled in the South Pacific, my home country, Vanuatu, is made mostly of ocean. The Pacific covers 98% of the national jurisdiction. Here, some 280,000 Vanatu like myself live simply off the land and sea. By the way, this is by Ralph uh, Regenvenu, uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs from Vanatu. It sounds like he's from space. Anyway, <laughs> we view the ocean as a living bridge that connects islands in continents while sustaining life in all its forms where we come from the ocean has a heartbeat holy shit isn't that crazy what the fuck that's a wild first fucking paragraph <laughs> that's fucking nuts so when scientists collected nearly 24,000 pieces of non-biodegradable trash on the beaches of the capital city, Port Vila, last August, it was a harsh reality check for us all. A tally of more than 4,400 plastic bags, 3,000 food wrappers, 4,400 plastic and foam packages, 2,600 beverage cans and 2,100 plastic drinking bottles showed that the addiction to cheap, convenient plastics had crept into our sh- onto our shores and into our lives. The debris was choking marine life, slowly poisoning fish and those who eat them, and negatively affecting tourism. To save our oceans, the country had to take swift and decisive action. Holy shit. Last month, Vanatu became one of the first in the world to implement a ban on single-use plastic bags, straws, and uh, polystyrene food containers, which I should have done a long time ago. The government (laughs) announced the new rules in January, prohibiting the importation and manufacturing of certain non-biodegradable plastic products, followed by a six-month grace period so local businesses and manufacturers could use up supplies. That's very nice of them. Alternative words, but isn't that crazy? That's fucked up. Anyway, it's wild. I'm gonna say goodbye to everybody and all that shit, and uh, hope everybody has a great fucking week. See you next week. Find some new weird stories from all over the world, and uh, enjoy yourself, please. Enjoy your imagination. Enjoy the world around you. I saw a really cool fucking thing uh, two days ago. Like, all these Spanish families were sitting down in this park and watching... um, What is that fucking... Coco? The new, like, Pixar film? And people were loving it, and it was cold and there were women in blankets it was the funnest most sitting in the park in this thing and it, in a place that used to be a parking lot and that i gave no fucking um 
no credit to for them actually making it a community thing and they actually did it and hey man hats off to um san francisco parks department like all the way and especially for that that's really cool shit all right guys have a great one I wish I could find me a brother with some game. To the rescue! Here's a little something for you whacked out suckers. Rolling 23rd, selling dope to clock. Cause your bank is fixed, but you got no kicking. Spitting that freeze, running super fly slang. I'm coming up the app. Hard as hell in a drop top vest with a greenwood tail. Girls are jockin', looking for a knockin'. Smart investments keep me clocking. You know a bet only got two seats. Just enough room for a player and a freak. Rolling at the park and I seen this cutie. LA face with the open booty. And I'm spitting it well Rolled up, pull up on a girly Girl, you wanna ride in my bed? Why should mm -hmm. That's right, baby, blowing me a kiss Think it makes a lot, gonna make you rich High sight, high sight, vapors That's right, can't get played Cause my game's so tight Now she's weird and skirts in effect Laying on the back of my vet I got game
the lake and mix it, we can get with it. Oh no, time for the ramble. Bring a Jimmy hat, cause I hate to gamble. Huffin' puffin', I just got in. Messing up the back of my bins. I got game, girl. Rush me, here it is from the wizard of hip hop, a lesson in game, make the girls get hot. Picked up a girl named Maddie, caught static from the sucker in a 7-2 caddy. Maddie was hot, but her name was not, I ain't worried about that, I ain't tying no knots. Took her to the hotel, game looks strong, she thought I spent bank, but I really spent coupons. But it's cool, cause I'm running it smooth, saving my money, cause the mouth is a tool. Pulled up close when I hit the sweet, I ain't worried about breath, cause I brush my teeth. Pop that game, freak that weed, hit that jackpot, slap them feet. Maddie got busy with the bedroom on the big king size, I got game. Snatching up girlies and rolling up suckers, know what I mean? Two with Maddie, that makes three. I'm gonna miss you, babe. You gonna miss me? Got loose cause the girl had a big caboose. Had to break down cause the girl had juice. Yeah, I'm gonna miss you, baby. Smooth, ain't it? Girl so sprung that she almost fainted. Heading for the crib, tired, brother. Thinking I was through till I spotted me another. Baby looks good, so you know what that means. Drive around the block with a gangster lean. Open that sunroof, crank that beat. Bumping up the avenue, impressing them freaks. What's up, baby? Run so big, the girls on tip like funk on pigs. Running that game, cause I wanna get work. Sipped on rip red homegirl shirt. Here she comes, hops in my car. Something about my bitch, old star and bar. Skip, skip, running that game. I'm feeling confident about another thick dame. All of a sudden, my game got crushed. Some sucker pulled up, and his ride was plush. Rolled up smooth, the girls was waiting. 5.024k Dayton's. Uh oh, thank Cause my girl's jumping on homeboy's tip Better change my game Trying other lure Cause homeboy's looking like I'll be sure But it's cool Cause I whipped out banks Big dead presidents made her think Back in effect Situation in hand I'm the brother that the others can't stand And I got game Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Thank you.
Hey, me and Nearest Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody.